Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast and another episode of the Late Night Ramble. Tonight I'm joined by probably my favourite Aston Villa supporting stand-up comedian. In fact, probably the only Aston Villa supporting stand-up comedian that I know. No, <laughs> none of the Ashley... admit to it. <laughs> Mr. Ashley Stevens, how are you, mate? I'm all right. If I could get rid of this cold, I'd be well away. But on the plus side, it means that a lot of my friends who do crap impressions of me sound a lot like I do when I've got a cold. So oh, at the good. minute, they're bang on. <laughs> good, good. Good to hear, mate. Good to hear. Well, I hope you get better soon, mate. But thank you for uh, sp- well spending your time with me this late Friday night on your deathbed. Uh, oh, unless I'm too far. <laughs> well, you've already had the corona once, haven't you? So, uh, yeah, that was not well, distant memory now. Oh, good, good, good. Actually, you know, um, I was just saying, although I did say my, probably my favourite Aston Villa supporting comedian, I did actually research that to see if there was any of this <laughs> Aston Villa supporting comedians. And, and the top search result was a guy called Dave Ismay. Yeah. Who, who I'm not sure if you've heard of. Yeah. Um, so he was, apparently he worked for Villa for quite a while. He, he did a lot he, of the uh, on the pitch stuff uh, during on Yeah, Mac, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Apparently a close friend of uh, Bob Monkhouse. Oh, I thought I was going to say Ron Atkinson. I think, wasn't he the one that Ron Atkinson used to get to do yeah. the no, entertainment I... on the coach? He's going to like oh, cup yeah, finals. Might have been, yeah. And I'm sure he did something like that. Didn't he get... Um, Stan oh, Boardman. Not... Yeah, Stan Boardman in 94, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I saw that video. <laughs> That's the way to suddenly age something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Unfortunately, I think Dave unfortunately passed away back in 2013, but um, that was literally the only result I could I could see. So uh, wow. you're in uh, high, high uh, elite company, mate, I think. I would, uh, well, if I can survive another three years, then I'll have been the only one for a decade. So that's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, 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 good. Well, uh, thanks for your time today. I'm really looking forward to today, especially to Didier 6, which uh, we'll tell the listeners about later on. But that, that's gonna, I think that's going to be a game changer, potentially time will tell you you might just be inundated with complaints and then it only lasts one episode yeah maybe yeah well depending on uh <laughs> how the game's played let's put it that way <laughs> it, it could it could go one or two ways but um well i suppose before we dive into you know what's happened in the last week looking ahead of the liverpool game what's your sort of general thoughts on villa and what's your mood like at the moment in terms of the club as a whole transfers the summer the game so far uh, it's a lot better than it probably was the last time I was at a match. Uh, the last game I went to was Southampton away, um, which was probably the worst Villa performance I have seen in Premier League history. Wow. That was atrocious. Um, so, yeah, I think the way we've started the season, I mean, ultimately, when we've had so many players coming in last season who weren't of a sufficient quality then it was always going to be a struggle. So, you know, 17th was always going to be a win. Uh, but obviously now there's suddenly optimism and everybody's flying and, all right, last night aside, I think that I think we're in a good place. I genuinely think it, you know, it looks like a, a good, a happy place to be. Happy with the uh, makeup of the squad? If it is, if, you know, if the window is to end on Monday and that's it, this is the squad we end up. Are you happy with the squad as it is? Could do it more. I still think we. I still think we need another centre half. I still think that we need another, probably another midfielder, because even with Ross Barkley coming in, we're only one or two injuries away from the likes of Hutter and Lansbury getting involved. Um, and I'd still say another striker because, you know, once Keenan Davis finds the back of the net, then we'd be all right. But I can't. I don't know how that's ever going to happen. Um, and it's it's a lot to put on Ollie Watkins, who I think is a brilliant signing. But I do think that is a lot to put on him. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think in an ideal world, we would definitely have at least another striker, I would say. Mm. But also potentially defensive reinforcements as well. Because I think that's the area for me that's a a big worry. Uh, Because Traore can play up front as well, albeit, you know, and he did well. He's done well previously for for the clubs he's played at, where he's played up front. But it's not his natural position. But a centre-back, I really worry, especially with House going off injured yesterday. Well, that, was, well, that was probably a blessing, to be honest. 
True. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll come on to that in a second. Um, but you know, Konzu and Mings have been brilliant, uh, yeah. formed a really fantastic partnership, but beyond that and behind that, there's not much else. And Engels, I thought, you know, started the season off well last year. Hey, what happened to Engels? Cause for the first few games, he looked like, he looked like a player. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I think that Leicester game at home really, really dented his confidence and, and he hasn't really come back since then. Um, he was sort of exposed. His pace was exposed. Yeah. Or lack of pace was exposed in that game, uh, especially with Mings going off injured. But still, you know, I, th- I think there's obviously talent there. He was close to getting to the Belgium squad last year. Um, so he's got he's got the ability. It's a case of whether Dean Smith trusts him or not. And at this very moment, I'm not too sure because he's been injured for a, a long time on and off. Uh, but also, even when he's been available, he hasn't been selected. So no. who knows? Maybe, I mean, maybe... I, Dean Smith said today, you know, he doesn't. Exp- he's happy with the squad, and he almost intimated that unless there's any outs, there won't be any ins. So potentially, if there are any outs, we might get some more signings. Um, I'm surprised we didn't go hard for Brewster. Um, I thought that would be one potential signing that we'd go for. And maybe we're going to wait for Sheffield United to uh, strike a deal with Liverpool and then and then jump in at the last minute and really rattle Chris Wilder uh, after the Watkins saga, but. That didn't happen. So, you know, I'm not too sure how the next couple of days or the next few days are going to go. But the way that that deal's structured, I don't think I'd want any part of that anyway. Yeah. Apparently exactly there's, a, the buyback. there's a buyback and a massive sell-on clause. But also, how many goals did he get for Swansea? Because I don't think, it's not like he had a Tammy or a Ollie Watkins type season, did he? Was it about 12 goals or something he got? Yeah, I mean, he came in, um, I mean, he's only played, I think, what, 20 first class games. Uh, sorry, uh, First team games. Right. First class, I'm uh, talking about cricket. I was going to say, that's get back my, to cricket, get, yeah. my, get, my, get my uh, cricket hat on now. But That was the only sport came, I could play. <laughs> yes, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he came in, obviously, in the January window for Swansea and did really well. Right. Um, he joined, I think it was right in the early early January, 7th of January, I think it was. Um, and he scored, it must have been 11, 12 goals. Okay, so uh, it, about it, 20 starts. Like a goal a game. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, and goal did, every other game. Yeah, I mean, in terms of goal, you know, goals per game, he was, he would have been right up there with Watkins. Okay. Uh, in terms of performances and the, over a whole season. But, you know, it's a really short time frame to judge a player on. And he's definitely got ability, but it's a lot of money. And it really puts into perspective the deal for Ollie Watkins, I think, which, you know, a lot of people, not Villa fans and non-Villa fans, were looking at and thinking, well, that's a lot of money. But when you put it in perspective with the, you know, this deal, with includes includes a buyback, includes a 15% sell-on, you know, 28 million for Ollie Watkins, I think it's a pretty good deal. Well, hopefully we're still saying that this time next year. And he's managed to get sort of 15 goals in his first Premier League season, which would be the dream. That would be nice, yeah. Which which of the uh, new signings has impressed you the most, apart from Watkins, obviously? I think Martinez. I like goalkeepers to look like men. And, yeah. you know, Martinez is he's built. You know, you look at Kalinic, you look at Neyland, They both are they're tall, but they've got no presence. They're both very sort of slight. Um, but Martinez, he's a he's a big boy, and that's kind of what you want. You want a bloke in goal. Um, and also, I just think the fact that yeah, there was obviously a, quite a few clubs who were rumored to have been after him, and it's getting a player who'd been the first choice for Arsenal. All right, there was an injury to their. Uh, was it Lino there? Yeah. Their yeah. normal one. Um, but I just think there's there's something about that that probably shows that, you know, we can draw in players who, you know, Arsenal are probably still viewed as far bigger than they are in reality. Um, you know, they're not going to be getting Europa League football or Champions League football uh, particularly easily this season either. But I do think that the, uh, the Martinez one has probably, I think as a statement, it's either that or the Barkley one has been kind of the biggest I think I'd agree with that. I think Ollie Watkins obviously is our marquee signing uh, this season, but Martinez, is, I think, is definitely one that could potentially be one of the best signings of the of the season across all clubs. Mm. Uh, you know, because this is a keeper who was ready uh, and had the ability to play for a top six, top four club and be yeah. the first choice. Uh, you know, make no bones about it. Yes, Leno is the first choice, but as most Arsenal fans have been writing on social media as they do. You know they were they they, they were definitely uh, gutted to lose him and, and would have preferred him over Leno anyway. So to have him in, in our team to come in and you know I said this in the last episode, two areas that we we uh, improved on straight away in the first two signings were were goalkeeper and right back. 
and and it just goes to show the i suppose the knowledge um that the coaching staff and the management team have around you know the players we have and what needs to be improved on um the fact that most people and me included would have said those two areas are not a massive priority for us for them to come in and to, for them you know for them for the club to spend big money on those two players you can see the impact they've had straight away you can see how good cash is uh, over massive Gilbert. improvement huge yeah, upgrade yeah. Yeah, huge upgrade, and you can see that. And, and again, that's me me saying, you know, and, and over the summer thinking, actually, Gilbert will be fine. He, you know, he's good enough. But you know, Cash, I think, you know, yes, it's early. You don't know. He'll, I'm sure he'll make mistakes. He's, he's young and he's, he's new to the league. But so far, you know, you can see the ability he has. But also the fact the fact that you just said good enough. That yeah. kind of yeah, the way we've had our expectations managed over the last decade. It's we, we can't think of things as being good enough anymore. Do you know what I mean that's. It's things like that that have left us with Alan Utton playing for however many years, and it's we now need to be looking for that next step. Yeah, no, I agree. And a bit of ambition, I think, is needed by you know the owners have shown it. I think, and it's time for the the fans now to step up. I think uh, you know we need to realise that this is going to be quite an exciting ride. I think, and it's uh, you know there's going to be ups and downs. Don't get me wrong, but you know the club are looking to sort of push on and move up the table as quickly as possible in the right way, obviously. Um, And they're going to look to do that by improving the team, both off the pitch, on the pitch, but also in terms of recruitment as well. And the signings we've made this year, it's only been five signings, I think so far, but they're all, you know, and the key is when you want to make, when you're going to make signings and you're, you've sort of secured your Premier League safety, you want to make signings that are going to improve the first team. Yeah, rather than. Rather than enhance the squad, they need to be going into the first team, and then your first team players that were playing last year that weren't quite good enough become your squad players, and that's how you improve the overall make of the squad, and that's what we're looking to do. Well, it'd be really nice if we could get to a position where we looked at the bench and there was someone on there that could change the game, because all last season I think one of the biggest problems was, and I know Smith got stick at various points for his reluctance to make substitutions, but. When you look on there and all that's on the bench is Keenan Davis and Borgia Baston in terms of uh, striking options, what's what are you going to do? You can't you can't change a game with those two, can you? No, no, exactly, and that's you know, such a good point. And you know, the weekend against Fulham, or oh, sorry, on Monday against Fulham, mm. you know, we had Keenan Davis on the bench who wasn't even used. And yes, you know, yes, last night aside, um, you know, had been probably our best player in the cup cup run so well let's call it a cup run but the, the couple of games that we had in the cup um you know he'd been our best player and wasn't even using we didn't even need him um so it goes to show you know we are definitely adding to our squad there's still work to be done don't get me wrong we could do with one or two more but it's looking promising what one name that you've you mentioned uh straight away was was ross barkley just quickly on him you know are you happy with his signing are you surprised and and how do you think he'll fit into the team and how do you think he'll do I know that when people were saying at the sort of whenever it was a week or so ago that there was a chance of either Barkley or Loftus Cheek on loan, then my preference was for Barkley, not necessarily based on a, sort of you know the uh, what they'd done in recent months or years, but I just I really think there is a player in there. Um, one of the criticisms that a an Everton supporting friend of mine had brought up is that their biggest frustration was that he would either be a match winner or he'd be anonymous. And they actually weren't that fussed to see the back of him, which I thought was quite strange. Um, but it's just, uh, there's nobody in our team at the minute, other than if we was to move Jack into midfield, that would do the Ross Barkley role. Um, and so when you can have that, yeah, him alongside McGinn and Douglas Louise, suddenly that's a really tasty midfield and obviously moves us one step closer to not having Henry Lansbury anywhere near the first team, which I think has, has got to be everybody's dream. <laughs> yes, especially on last night's showing. Oh, let's um, not. Let's not. Don't, don't get me started on Henry Lansbury. Oh. I, I, I've mentioned him on Twitter a few times, but oh, the, the is he a footballer? Of... Can we just work this out? Is he actually a footballer? I don't know. I he's don't like, know. He's, he's like the... one of them, you know, them Instagram influencers. He's all over social media, sort of you know, showing his hair and his tattoos. But the, I mean, that header. I, I, I don't even think you could give somebody or throw a ball to somebody who'd never played the game. And they would make a better effort of heading the ball than he did last night. Yeah, he didn't obviously didn't want to ruin his latest hairstyle. I think it, that's all it could be. Shocking, absolutely I mean, shocking. I mean, I he's been here for five, nearly five years. He's been paid forty grand a week, and the and the stick that players like Samata, Al Ghazi, 
uh, Nakamba, even people like uh, Neil Taylor, the amount of stick they get when compared to Henry Lansbury, who has literally added nothing to this team for five years nearly and paid so much. I mean, I, I see posts on me on social media um, from players, from non-players, from fans saying, you know, obviously Henry Lansbury is a, a key part of the squad and it's good for team morale and the players get on with him. Well, you know, give me 40 grand a week and I'll show you team morale. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's crazy. It is crazy. But the the thing is, and this is a real bad thing to admit, but when we signed him, I was actually delighted because I had always assumed, and he obviously just had good games against us, but when he was at Forest, he struck me as the sort of midfielder that you want in the championship. He was a bit sort of you know, all action and he'd come up with a goal and there was there was just something about him. I thought, yeah, you, you know, it's a different team that you want to get promoted with in the championship to what you'd have in the Premier League. And I genuinely thought at the time that there was, yeah, that, that, that was a good bit, bit of business. Um, and as it turned out, he was as bad in the Championship as he's been in the Premier League. Yeah, no, I mean, I was the same. Um, I think it wasn't. Um, it was only a few games before we signed him when he scored. It must have been the equaliser. Yeah, it was two all against us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we played him, when Ross McCormack did one of the only decent things he did for Villa, scored a goal. Um, and I think Gested, Gested scored the other, didn't he? Uh, from memory. But, I think um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was the same. I thought, you know, because we, we signed Lansbury and, and Harahan in that in that window, and Harahan especially. Hogan, I was really. Let's not forget Scott. Oh Hogan. God, let's not. Let's not. Go. <laughs> this this podcast could go very uh, <laughs> could go off on a tangent if we we start That's talking true. about Scott Hogan. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I thought you know, Lansbury and Harahan they were going to be really key players. Harahan especially, I was really, uh, and and you know, I think he's proved to be a really really good buy at the money we bought him. Don't get me wrong, and we'll come on to him in a second because that uh, sort okay. of. Pertains to Ross Barkley as well, um, but Lansbury, yeah, just been been poor. But on Ross Barkley, I think um, you know you, you've mentioned it already. Um, there was there was a little bit of negativity, not a massive amount, but a little bit of negativity around Ross Barkley coming to Villa um, because I think people see him as a bit of a failure at Chelsea. Um, but in my eyes, I think he's not a top four player. Don't get me wrong; he's not at that level. No. But he's probably is a top six, top eight player, and f- for that reason alone, he he becomes one of our best players coming into the team. Yep, I would agree with that, and I think also he he kind of gets tarred, or maybe it's just in my weird mind, but I always kind of associate him because he came through at Everton at the same sort of time as like Jack Rodwell, and they always kind of never quite met their potential. Do you know what I mean? I know Rodwell obviously spectacularly hasn't. But there's just something about the two of them that you sort of expected them to be part of the next golden generation of English footballers. And it just didn't happen for them in the in the manner that you'd have expected. Yeah, no, definitely. And and Barkley, I think, is always, you know, he's not played so you know that much for Chelsea, but he's played probably 13, 14, uh, well, he's had 13, 14 starts per season for the last couple of seasons. And he's come on the bench about the same amount of times as well. And, and he's always added something to the team. You know, I've seen him play a fair amount for Chelsea and he's always looked decent, I thought, and, mm. and looked like he, yeah, maybe wasn't quite at the level that the players that they wanted to have and the level that they wanted to reach, but he was still a decent option for them and, and did well. You know, he he's chipped in with goals and assists, uh, not so much last season, but the season before. Uh, and I think he's the type of midfielder that we need. You know, on this show, um, you know, we've been championing the need for a new number eight and and you know people are like what's actually what, what is a number eight what does it actually mean but i think the attributes that ross barkley brings is exactly what we need and it's exactly the attributes that someone like harahan doesn't have yeah harahan is is mr output i call him you know against certain certain teams like fulham you know he will perform he'll get assists he will get goals and he, and he brings definitely he brings something to the team and as a squad player he's a fantastic option but against Probably fourteen of the twenty clubs, you know, it can be, it can, okay, maybe, but he could be found wanting. I think, um, and we need someone there to sit alongside Douglas Louise and McGinn, and McGinn primarily plays from the right hand side of that three, yeah. and and Barkley for Chelsea and for Everton is primarily operating on the left hand side of a three, and you know he can come in and be that player that we need that can carry the ball uh, and be that number eight and can get up and down the pitch. Uh, and, you know, the, I think the, the biggest attribute that, that Barkley has, well, the two attributes is one is carrying the ball, but also his, his pass retention um, is is massive. And, and that means that we become a better team. We keep hold of the ball more. Whereas with the likes of Harahan, I, I think against 
teams that are better uh, and those 14-ish teams that I mentioned, you know, he will look for that either sideways pass or or pass back with a safe option or get a little bit flustered and end up losing the ball or generally hide uh, a little bit, you know, and not want the ball. Whereas Ross Barkley will want the ball, I think. I mean, if one day we could introduce the same sort of rules as they have in American football, where you could bring people on to kick it when there's field goals and everything else, then Connor would be brilliant for that because, you know, from a set piece, he's probably the best, he's the best left foot we've got in the team and he's probably the best sort of set piece that we've got in the team. But uh, to me, he's only ever been a, a, a decent enough championship midfielder. I don't rate him. I think he's in too many games. He's a passenger. Um, it's and I might still be bitter from him walking off really slowly against West Brom when we were two 0 down. I don't know, uh, but it's I just uh, to me it's a massive upgrade and also it gives us legs because if there was one thing that we didn't have last season, it was legs. Yeah, the, the, we, as a team we were very easy to play against because we weren't mobile enough and there wasn't enough to make the opposition guess or second guess what was going to be happening. We were very formulaic. Everybody kind of had their role. Whereas now, you know, you can see the way Watkins comes out to the left. And I think the midfield hopefully might do something similar where one goes, one stays back. And it just, it gives us another dimension because the one thing we can't afford to do this season is be as predictable as we were last. No, definitely. And, and I think the legs is key there. Something Smith's mentioned a lot is athleticism of the squad, improving the athleticism of the, of the players and the, and the team mm. as a whole. And players like Matty Cash, Ollie Watkins, Barkley, you know, they're definitely going to do that. You've seen Ollie Watkins, you know, the, the guy does not stop running. No, yeah, he's well away Fulham. from what from what we had last season this time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I do like Harahan, don't get me wrong. He's one of my, he's one of my favourite players. I've said that before and I'll, I'll say it again because of the money that we spent with him and, and what he's delivered for the team. Oh, you know, great you, you value signing when you look at some signing. of the goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but, but in terms of where we want to be, you know, we have to be a little bit ruthless. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the way you, you're ambitious and that's the way you progress. Um, you know, he's still, he's still got a, a place in the squad and against, like I say, certain teams, I'm sure he will add something, but you know, we do need to improve and Ross Barkley straight away improves and becomes, you know, one of our, you know, that midfield three of Douglas Louise, McGinn and Barkley, that's a match for most teams, I would say. Yeah, definitely. But the other thing as well, which always makes me think we should probably cash out is, isn't Harahan getting on for like 30-ish now? Yeah, I think he's... He's uh, a lot older be, than you'd be, expect. He's, I'm sure he's 29 or he's mm. going to be 29. And, and you know, his, his contract's not, maybe he's got two years left, I think. Um, so yeah, it's 29 years old. It's going to be 30 in, in February. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you know, obviously he doesn't, he doesn't rely too much on pace or anything like that. Uh, it's more about his, his dead ball work and, uh, his left foot. So, you know, he's not going to like lose any, well, if he does lose, I can't, don't think he can lose much more pace to be honest. Um, <laughs> but you know, he doesn't rely on it too much, but athleticism, I think legs is, is massive. And like you said, so, you know, hopefully I think Barkley will add, definitely add to the squad mm. and add, add to the team. Um, in terms of you know looking forward to the Liverpool game, just quickly, we'll, and we'll touch upon the Liverpool game in a second. Before, you know, but before that, we'll touch on the Stoke game quickly as well. But just a quick question on the Liverpool game: Would you put Barkley straight into the team, or would would Harahan continue uh, in midfield for you? Um, if Barkley wasn't going in, I probably wouldn't have Harahan in the team anyway. Um, if if Barkley's fit enough, he's got to go straight in. There's no. Yeah. I know that we we came a cropper with uh, Danny Drinkwater. Go, didn't he go straight in against Chelsea? No, Chelsea uh, City last yeah, year, did, yeah. yeah, and that was an absolute disgrace. It was. Yeah, I can't see Barkley being that bad. Uh, but I, if he's fit enough, then send yeah, put him straight in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. To be honest, I think um, one thing I was critical of Smith last last year, and I mentioned this in in, in one of the previous episodes, was you know I don't agree with this old school premise that you know if you're that the team that wins the game stays you know stays the same team the next game regardless of opposition I think you have to be adaptable and flexible and, and Liverpool Man City do it other teams do it successful teams do it where they adjust and adapt their team and their formation and their tactics to the team that they're going to be playing um, for example as an example you know Nakamba was, was brilliant against Liverpool at home last year Um and if we hadn't signed Ross Barkley, I would have maybe thought about playing a four-two-three-one and playing the camera and Louise as holding midfielders uh, to give us a bit more solidity. 
but you know things like that that's just an idea but you know i don't think you should just stick to the same team and conor we did this with conor Huron Huron last year where he'd have a great game against say newcastle uh, and be man and of the match. Keeping him for the game against uh, Liverpool the next week, and he gets overrun. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But also, and I think we, we're a bit more streetwise this season, and I would hope that a lot of lessons have been learned, particularly in terms of game management and that sort of thing. So you would hope that Smith and Co have realised that you can't have the same team just because they beat Fulham one week. You know, the team that beat Fulham isn't necessarily going to have the same amount of the ball or the same number of chances against Liverpool. Therefore, you have to plan accordingly. Well, I suppose as we're talking about Liverpool, we might as well carry on and preview the match. Do you, I mean, obviously, there's no point really talking about Liverpool too much. Everyone knows what they're about, uh, knows sort of the uh, the level that they play out um, and how well they've done over the last couple of seasons. Um, looking at the Villa team, we've talked about potential changes. Were there, would there be any other changes that you'd look to make and... How would you set up? Would you set up in the same way as you as we did against Fulham or would you look to tweak it? Um, I probably would set up in the same way purely because I think if you get at Liverpool, you can get goals. I think you know, they're kind of like a 10-year-old playing FIFA. Is all, of their, all their effort has been put into getting the best players up front and in midfield. I think at the back, they're pretty, they're pretty average. You know, obviously, their full-backs do a good job going forward. But defensively, I think, I, personally, I think they're suspect. Yeah, I mean, I think Leeds showed that, didn't they? I think, yeah. uh, you know, they got in behind because the fullbacks push up so high and they almost play like midfielders. And, and Trent Alexander-Arnold especially, you know, he, can play, he plays like a centre midfielder. He dictates the, the game almost from, from that position. Um, but he's definitely, him especially, and, and Robertson to, to a certain degree, uh, definitely can be got at uh, and can get, you know, you can get balls in behind and Ollie Watkins can uh, sort of run those channels, which he does so well. You know, you could pull apart the uh, the centre backs, and we, you know, on the counter, you can see now we're much improved. Uh, we seem like a better team, so it could be uh, could be an option for us. So, you know, I wouldn't. Yes, you know, it's going to be a difficult game. Don't get me wrong. Um, and more than likely, you know, we won't get a win. But there's def, you know, there's definitely a chance, and I'm much I'm much more confident than I was going into the same game last season. Albeit, you know, we had a great performance last year and didn't quite make it. Uh, didn't get quite get the win or the draw at the end. But I'm much more confident this time around. I think it's it's one of them. I know that Smith said that there's no such thing as a free hit, but it's one of those that as long as we have a go, then I don't think anybody can be too upset. If if we come away from it, we've lost two or three nil, then nobody's going to really bat an eyelid because that's that's what happens. You play Liverpool and you get beaten. But uh, uh, do you know what? It's this is probably heart overhead, but I would genuinely not be surprised if we was to at least score two. I don't know. I'm not going to say that's enough to win, but I think we'll score two. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't put it past us. Um, you know, when you've got someone like Jack Grealish playing um, and he's playing, probably going to be playing off the left, I imagine. And Ale- Alexander Arnold's going to be pushing forward. One thing we space. did against Fulham. Yeah, there's space to run out. Exactly. And one thing we did against Fulham was we did sort of leave Jack uh, high up the pitch uh, a little bit for the counter. And, uh, you know, he didn't track back as he normally does from that position. So, I mean, obviously, against Liverpool, it's a different opposition. Fulham are probably the worst team in the league. But there's definitely uh, there's definitely goals to be had against the Liverpool team. There is. I, th- I think the key for it as well is going to be if, I mean, whether Barkley starts or not, who knows. But if it's, say, it is Nakamba, Louise and McGinn, then you just want one of them, ideally McGinn, to be flooding forward because as as Watkins drops out, and gets the ball in the channels or drops short, something that, and it obviously happened against Fulham with Jack's goal as you know everyone was preoccupied with everybody else and he sort of made the breakthrough. We need to be able to supplement the, the one striker as such with at least one midfielder, um, which hopefully having Barkley is what's going to happen. But especially against the defence where they, you know, the fullbacks push forward, uh, Van Dijk and I'd imagine is it Gomez who will play with him yeah I'd imagine so yeah those two I think if there's if you've got enough people who are running up against them eventually they will make a mistake yeah well Van Dijk's made uh, a couple already this season which is uh, <sighs> don't get me started on him do not get which, me started on him <laughs> yeah I mean I mean Van well quickly on Van Dijk you know I do rate him don't get me wrong I think he's probably the best centre-back in the league but when he's yeah, but that's like to... being the tallest dwarf. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's not much competition, is there? 
No, no, true. I mean, when you've got the likes of Harry Maguire being first choice. Absolutely. In the centre-back, then, you know, I, I get your point. And, and he's, he's, he is a great defender, don't get me wrong. But when they compare him to the likes of Terry, Ferdinand, McGrath, Ledley King, Sol Campbell, I just think those players are better, far better, in my opinion. You can keep going. Yap Stam, Tony Adams, Vidic. Loads. Honestly, I, this, is the, this is the one thing, and I always get sort of slated for this, but... He's a good defender at the moment and compared to what else is out there. But does he stand up in a top 10 in Premier League history? No. Yeah. I don't even, I wouldn't even put him in a top 20 in Premier League history. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think generally the level of defending has uh, decreased. Definitely. Mm. Um, you know, when you compare, and this is a, a point I make when we talk about some of the greatest players ever and Messi, Ronaldo, don't get me wrong. Messi for me is the greatest player ever. But I, I do think the Brazilian Ronaldo the original Ronaldo, if he hadn't got injured so many times and his, his knee injuries, and he would have been the greatest player ever because he he was doing it at a young age consistently for different teams across different leagues with some you know, some great performances against some of the very best defenders ever to have played the game. People like Nesta, Cannavaro, you know, um, you know those types of players, uh, Lilian Taram, Marcel Desai, you know these, and even them, you know, those players were probably weren't even the top 10 defenders, centre-backs at that point in time. But if you, if you were to bring them and compare them to defenders now, they'd be some of the best around. So They'd be going for 80 million like Maguire. Yeah. Exactly, but worth the exactly, money. Exactly, exactly. So I do get the point, but you know, I do think Van Dijk at this present time is probably the best defender in the league. He probably is. He probably is. That doesn't really say a lot. No. Um, but I think you know, that their back four picks itself pretty much. Um They've got some youngsters, in, for example, Reese Williams and Neko Williams, who who play now and again. But I don't think they'll play in this game. Midfield, he tends to uh, mix it up quite a bit. Uh, Fabinho, I think, is a key player for them as a linchpin. Mm. Um, and then ahead of him, you know, he's he's played Wijnaldum, he's played Cater, but again, he could change that. He could play Curtis Jones, who's who's a big fan of. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see. Up front, the front three normally, again, pick themselves. And again, I don't think there'll be much change there. Maybe you could say um, Jota maybe coming in um, for one of the front three, but I doubt it. Um, did did he play saw- yesterday in the game against Arsenal? Uh, yeah, I think, I think he, he did, did yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. yeah they had, I mean, Van Dijk played as well, but I think that was just for sort of experience. Um, but, you know, they definitely can be got out. Don't get me wrong. They're not infallible, like everyone pretends that they are. They are. No. Uh, there's definitely uh, definitely opportunities there for us to score and, and do well and hopefully at least get a draw. Um, but in terms of our team, I think, like like we've said, probably be a similar team with maybe one or two, well, one change in midfield, potentially. Um, I can see Trezeguet starting again because of his work rate. And again, he did well against Liverpool last year and we'll probably need that against their fullbacks because we'll be defending a lot. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I can't see many of the changes, can you? Um, I can't. The what was interesting against Fulham, and it might be as we change it against other teams, but when obviously typically the two wingers would be dropping back and uh, sort of doubling up with the with our fullbacks, but against Fulham, a lot of the times they would stay further forward, and either McGinn or Harahan would drop back in as sort of you know, the extra the extra pair of legs with the fullback. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's a conscious thing that we're now doing against. I say the lesser teams, that sounds awful in the Premier League. Um, or whether or not that is the way that they're going to defend going forward, I don't know. Uh, but I would imagine, I'd love to say that Barkley will start. I don't know whether he will. Triori, have we seen enough of him to to know if he's fit or up to speed? I, I'm i not a Trezeguet fan, but you can't argue with the shift he puts in every week, which, as you say, probably is the safest option against uh, against Robertson and uh, Alexander-Arnold. So, yeah, I think it's going to be much of the same with potentially Barkley's the only change to come in. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And Traore, you know, I think he, he does, he's not fit yet. He's I don't think he's had a pre-season and he's come in to the Villa team and he's played a couple of cup games and, and sort of a cameo against Fulham. And he hasn't really had a chance to show his, uh, his pace yet as well. Um, and we'll come on to his performance yesterday as well against Stoke in a second. But just before then, um, your prediction for the game on? Oh, don't do that. Um, I'm going to say 3-2, but I don't know who to. Okay. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> I think that could Opt- be... Uh... Optimistic. That is optimistic. It's, it'll probably end up being about 5-2 to Liverpool. I think I just I can see us getting a couple. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, there's certainly goals in the league, isn't there, at the moment, um, which we've uh, touched on in previous episodes and the reasons for that. Um, I'm going to go... Oh, God, this is tough. Why did I ask for predictions? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go for 1-1. One, one. Wow. Uh, draw, yeah. Because I, I do think... There are goals there, but I do think we're much more resolute in defence. And um, albeit, you know, I'm a little bit concerned because we do defend much narrowly now compared to last season, which has made us uh, much stronger when when defending. But it also means that the opposition have more opportunities to get balls into the box. So, uh, Which against them is is potentially fatal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And against Fulham, it wasn't. uh, Although Mitrovic, you know, did have, did win a lot of headers in the box. We sort of uh, made it hard for him against Liverpool. I think it's going to be that much more difficult. So we'll see, we'll see. But I'm going to be optimistic and say 1-1. Um, just so if we push on to the uh, the Stoke game, just quickly, because I want to, I want to get to Didier 6 and give enough, give us enough time to do uh-huh, that. Yeah. Um, dreadful performance, basically, isn't it? What else is there to say? If, I don't know. I don't know what else, what else to say. That was, it was shocking. Um, but, you know, to try and get a bit of a sense of perspective, I think that, it was shocking for a reason. They aren't, those players are the reason we were battling to get to 17th. On the whole, the likes of, you know, Gilbert, the likes of Neil Taylor, Courtney Hawes, these aren't players that should be anywhere near the first team squad of Aston Villa if we're ever going to get to where we should be. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fair point. And, uh, you know, some of those players like Hotter, Lansbury will probably never make a first team squad in the Premier League as long as we don't get too many injuries. Um, so again, just to show you the, the level of players that we had out, uh, last night on the pitch. Um, so there's definitely, obviously there's room for improvement of the squad. We know that, but it's going to take time. It's a gradual process. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those games, you know, I'm not going to get too beat up about it. I'm, I was disappointed because I like to win. I want to win us to win cups. I'm not that bothered about finishing ninth versus 12th. It yeah. doesn't really bother me too much. I'd rather win cups because that's where I remember when I first supported Villa is winning the league cups. So, so those are, those are important to me, but I thought, you know, uh, in terms of the team, first half was poor, really bad. Um, no one really stood out apart from maybe Ramsey. And, and I thought Nakamba overall had a decent game, albeit he's a limited player. Um, but but apart from that, I think well, there's not much more else to say. Just we weren't just good enough. We went up for it and Stoke were much more physical and, and much more up for it. And their centre-backs, especially Collins and Suter, were really, really good, um, were fantastic and almost bullied Davis out of the game, which is weird to say considering Davis is normally the one doing the bullying. But in the grand scheme of things, because of how sort of weird this season is anyway, is it the end of the world? No. Yeah, no, especially, I mean, I was saying to someone else uh, on Twitter yesterday, you know, it's just, it would have been one of those typical Villa things that if we'd got to the final and probably won the final, we wouldn't have been able to go and enjoy it. So actually it's not too disheartening on on that front. And because of a travel ban next summer, we couldn't have even gone to play any of the games in the uh, Europa League anyway. Exactly. We couldn't go to those far-fung places in Europe and <laughs> watch Villa trans someone 1-0. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, sort of a... <laughs> wasn't wasn't really much of a match uh, review of Stoke, but there's not much to say, is there, Ash? It's... You could go one by one and it would it, feel cruel. Um you know, I was I was really surprised. I know that Courtney Hawes is not a Premier League player, but he didn't even look a Championship player last night. Um, he was as bad as I've seen. I thought one of the few highlights was uh, at the corner at the end. Jed Steer actually looked more of a danger in the box than I've ever seen Wesley look. So that was quite nice. Um, you know, he actually sort of moved and caused a few problems. That was that that was all right. But yeah, it was. It was played with the tempo of a pre-season friendly and ultimately the result doesn't matter because you know it would have just been an extra annoyance midweek when we've probably got games to prepare for that are far more important. Yeah, no, I agree. No, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, there's not much more to say on that. Um, so, uh, well, we move on and now to the most exciting part of the show. Um, a new game show that we've uh, we've come up with, and and Ash has helped me with this actually. Um, so it was an idea that I I sort of uh, put out there to a few people. Uh, something I came up with basically just <laughs> before I went to bed one night. I was trying to think of different ideas to improve the show, uh, and I came up with an idea. Um, and uh, Ash helped me with the name for the idea. We came <laughs> we thought of lots of different names, including uh, what was it? Um, 
Possumer's Post Room. Yeah, was, that- it, was it Savo's Bunker as well? Savo's Bunker. Was that, was, that was all right, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe if you don't like the name, guys, um, I'm open to suggestions if you want to change it. But I quite like the, the name, which is Didier 6. So, uh, welcome to Didier 6, the new segment of the show. Didier. So the premise of the, this segment is basically it's Villa Room 101. So if you watched Room 101 back in the days of uh, was it Paul Merton and Nick Hancock before him? Yeah. Or, or the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank um, Skinner these days, I think. Frank Skinner, yeah. Frank Skinner as well. Um, the premise of the show is actually I don't know if Nick Hancock was in it. Anyway, uh, the premise of the show is that um, Ash or any, the guest, any guest that we have in that week, particular week has to uh, pick aspects of football or Aston Villa that they want to go into room 101. And we've called it Didier Six because he has six opportunities to do that. And he also has 60 seconds. Yes, I know that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a reaching a little bit, but 60 seconds to uh, put his case forward for each one before we then go on and debate each point. And then I decide whether it goes to room 101. And, and this will be a running scorecard. So each guest will get the opportunity to do it. And the guest with the highest score at the end of the season will receive a special prize. Um, Is it an autographed picture of DDACs? Yeah, it's going to be an autographed picture of DDACs, yeah. Nice. That's what what it's going to be. Uh, Or maybe lock of his hair. Uh, Oh, could you imagine? I know, I know. Uh, Maybe in a a frame signed as well. We'll see if we can get that sorted. Um, Someone's got to know him. (laughs) I'm sure someone does know him. Um, So that's the premise of the show. It's as simple as that. It should be interesting. So... Let's let's get straight to it. Uh, let's go to your your first choice. I'm going to start the clock, and when I say go, you go. You've got 60 seconds to uh, argue your point. Ready, set, go. So this is something that's called a Corey syndrome. Um, over the last few years, no amount of confidence or coaching has improved a Villa player in the eyes of some fans as much as either a lengthy absence or a career-threatening injury. The first case I can remember was with Joris Corey who, having looked as shaky as anything when fully fit, suddenly became twice the player while he was being treated for a ruptured cruciate. Because this is the first instance I can remember, that's why I've named this after him. But he's not the only example. There was Carlos Gill, Libor Kozak, and now I've seen people doing the same with Wesley. We shouldn't even be entertaining him wearing claret and blue again. He can't head, control or pass a ball, and his hold-up play resembles an American actor on Soccer Aid. The madness must stop. Nobody wants to see players get injured, other than Patrick Bamford, obviously. But let's keep a sense of perspective in future. They're not going to get better. Perfect. Well, with it, well, five seconds within time. Wow, was that's that, an oh, int- Look at that. This is year, years of doing stand-up, as you know roughly how many words are going to fill the time slot. That's, that's good. You know, that's both you need, brilliant and no, tragic. It's nice to have a professional on the on the show for once. Professional. Uh, and I, 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 include, I include myself in that as well. That do um, not getting paid, though. Uh, yeah, the checks in the post, mate. Oh, Honestly. cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah. It might be delayed because of COVID, obviously. It's funny. Yeah. You've not even asked for my address, so I know it's not going to come. <laughs> but uh, good first choice, right? Interesting one. I, I mean, I uh, I totally get where you're coming from this, and there's something I've moaned about before. Um, and I've seen plenty of players uh, suffer from this or, or benefit from this, if you like. We've also done it when they've gone on loan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we've we've seen this a lot. I mean, Wesley, just quickly, and Wesley, I, I'm I wouldn't say I'm a massive fan, but I am a fan. I do think he's got ability. Um, I, know, I know you're going to probably laugh at that, but uh, what, what sport is this you're talking about? Okay, okay, yeah, we, we we can have a whole episode on Wesley if you want, but I I do like Wesley, um, and I'm looking forward to having him back in the team. Um, but in terms of the general premise, I, I do get it. Um, I've seen it so many times, even before you know Orosakore. It was just. Any player that was injured, you think, oh, you know, he's he's going to come back and come flying. We've we've had it with players like Scott Sinclair. We've had it with players like um, Nigel Rio Coca. We've had it numerous, numerous times. And and yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, Okore, you know, he. I remember I was at the game actually against Newcastle when he got injured, um, and it was a horrible, horrible injury, and he never came back after that. The same player. But we didn't really get to see a chance to see what kind of player he was, to be honest. So it's hard to say. Oh God, this is a tough one. Um, it's it's up to you. Look, I've all I can do is lay the facts out there. There's not not one of them has come back a better player for having a career threatening injury. No, no. 
Um, but and yeah, the Wesley injury is very similar to something that I did about 10 years ago. And that took a long time to get back. No, it's true. And and I do get the general premise and, and I'm almost tempted to put it in, but there's there's two reasons why I'm not going to put it in. I'm afraid. One is because one is because I, I do actually think Wesley can be a decent player. And the other reason is there's another player that, well, it wasn't a career-threatening injury, but it was a very serious injury that came back a better player in the championship. And that was Jack Grealish. Um, so if you remember Ooh. under Steve Bruce, he had a very, yeah, very bad injury. Kidney injury, yeah, 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 which was quite serious actually. Um, that we didn't really know about too much. Um, and he he used that time off to come back a completely different player, bulk up, get fitter, you know, more athletic, build himself up, and he came back a completely different player to what he was before then. And for that very reason, I'm afraid I can't put it in. I'm afraid. So your your first one is a, a no. Oh no, it's going to get worse from here as well. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of things that you don't disagree. That, sorry, that you don't agree on. No, that's fine. No, if there's a re- if there's reason for it to go in, then I will put it in. So, what's your second one? Ready, set, go. Martin O'Neill. Why would anybody want to tarnish the legacy of this great man? I mean, you could tarnish it based on the fact his net spend was in excess of a hundred million on largely substandard players. Or I could also have an issue with him walking out just days before the West Ham game. I mean, I do, but it isn't any of that. My issue is with the style of football that we played, or lack thereof. O'Neill's Villa were an effective counter-attacking side, and that was proven in the 2008-2009 to season, where we won 10 of our 19 away games, but also we drew more games at home than we won because we hit sides on the break and we had no plan B. Because of what came later, history's been very kind to him. In fact, compared to what we've had since, he looked like Ron Saunders, Ron Atkinson and Graham Taylor all rolled into one. Not the second Graham Taylor spell, obviously the first one. But we should all just take off the rose-tinted specs when reviewing that era. Behind the sixth-place finishes was a lot of money spent on a lot of shite, and his tactical limitations were shown up when it mattered and have certainly been shown up since. Oh, well done. I think two seconds over, but I'll let you have that. Oh, sorry. Um, but no, I'll let you have that because uh, Martin and Neil was going straight in. Yes. I'm, I'm still absolutely pissed off with him. For what reason? Can I, can I just ask your reason? Well, firstly, the way he left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, in hindsight, you know, I enjoyed those. I, I was a season ticket holder just before he, uh, you know, when he came in and for, throughout his period that he was there. Um, and, you know, I, lo- I did love the man at the time and I loved the team at the time, but when you look back in hindsight, the amount of money we spent, the wages we paid for certain players, players like Habib Bay, um, you know, Curtis Enjoy. Davis, Gary Cahill going out, Stephen Davis going out, uh, you know, these players that would have added much more to our team than the players that came in, Nicky Shaw, like you say, you know, we, we could have been such a, a much, much better team. And the way we capitulated in that is, what's well, it would have been his third season when we uh, drew against Stoke. Um, you know, it was shocking. And then, then the, the fiasco in, in Europa, the Europa League as well. Uh, and the fact that, you know, the way he left, he hasn't talked about it. He hasn't mentioned what's happened. I think he owes that to Villa fans because, you know, the, everything, the decline started at that point. And yes, you can say about Randy Leone and, and he's a massive part of it. Don't get me wrong. Um, he's a huge part of it. But there's enough money spent there, enough money there to be had at that time compared to other clubs, apart from Man City, who just started spending towards the end of Martin O'Neill's reign, you know, where we could have been easily a contender there for top four and we should have been in hindsight. So, uh, yep, go straight in. I'm happy Excellent. with that. There's, um, just to give you a little bit of a, I suppose, a flavour of how things change, there's, and I don't know why this just came to mind, but there's an old boy who used to do quite a bit of scouting for Villa uh, and he was around since the early 90s. And he used to go to a lot of sort of low-level games and I remember him telling me that when um, when Ron Atkinson was manager and he'd tell him about a player, Ron's question would be, you know, so what did the fans think of him? When he got on the ball, did they stand up? You know, it was those sorts of questions. And when O'Neill took over, his first question was, how tall is he? Yeah. <laughs> what does that tell you about his priorities? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was he was the type of manager to get the best out of his players and, and the 13, 14 players that played for him week in, week out loved him and would do anything for him, as, as Gabby and other people have said before. But, you know, he wasn't a man of tactics. He wasn't a man of strategy. Uh, he was a man of, you know, get the best out of your players and mm. 
and you know, and you know, give players like Ashley Young, Gareth Barry, Gabby Agbonhol the license to do and have that that sort of freedom to do what they want and let everyone else work hard for the team to uh, to make sure that they have enough space and time to do what they want, which which I get, and it worked up to a point. But I think we could have been so much better. So yeah, that goes in. That goes in for me definitely. And, and a lot of people are going to disagree, and I get that. But that's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the whole point of this game. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if you disagree, then you know, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you know, I, f- I found like I, s- I sort of sound like the Asian Adrian Durham now, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get listeners to come in and <laughs> interact. All the clickbait's coming out. All the clickbait's coming out. But no, we no, we do want to hear from you and what your thoughts are on all of these. So yeah, that's in. So the third one, I'm going to start the clock. Ready, set, go. Kappa. Villa fans were delighted with the Luke kits and the quality of the Under Armour kits is proven by the fact that I still wear the shirts to this day. But why am I still wearing the Under Armour shirts? Well, because Kappa is crapper. Now, I get that our European cousins come in all shapes and sizes, and I realise that I'm a bit of a freak of nature at six foot nine. But for two seasons, I've been unable to buy any Villa shirts or training gear because whilst the 4XL would accommodate most beer bellies, unfortunately, I don't know if it can accommodate mine because I can't get it over my shoulders. Now, this is the first time it's ever happened, and some of the training stuff particularly would have had me parting with a couple of hundred pounds quite easily, but it isn't to be. How can they get it so wrong? And I think the deal's meant to be for two seasons, but knowing my luck, they'll probably renew it for another five years or something, like that stupid contract they gave to Paul Lambert. It's probably a good job that the Under Armour stuff was so well made after all, because I'm probably going to be wearing it for a long time yet. Oh, 59 seconds. Oh, wow. You are you are good at this. I'm almost a pro at this. <laughs> um, yeah, Kappa. Oh, God. Uh, don't get me started. I mean, the, the away kit I quite liked last season, but the home kit and the third uh, kit was, it was okay. Unimaginative. The, oh, the third kit was vile. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, there was a lot of people on Twitter that actually got um, design proofings for the, uh, for the kits. Uh, before they were initially uh, officially uh, released right. and they were pretty much designed by um fan- uh, fanatics who are the, the, the people who distribute the kits so they design it Kappa just put their badge on it and then they tweak it to uh you know their their whatever their latest technology kit manufacturing and is. very narrow shoulders obviously yeah and, and we'll have uh, rob warner who's a very famous uh, kit designer and villa fan um who will be on the show in the coming weeks so we'll get his views on the kits as well but for me the kits last season were awful you know the shoulders, the, the uh, you know the, the design, the fit. You know, considering Villa fans are going to be wearing these, and you know we know what the average Villa fan looks like um, in terms of their build, um, and what well, the average football fan to say, you know, for, to say that, and that's not that's not a criticism or anything, but that's just the way it is. And you know these these tops, these the fitting of these Kappa tops are just not great. Uh, and the kids this season, again, for me, I don't really see the fuss. And the, the, sort of the sleeves are weird. I don't yeah. like them at all. The sponsor logo is too high. Yeah, I mean, I get that's the Kappa design, so I don't mind that too much. But I mean, it looks great. But on do, the players, do you really want to see Kazoo over you know, Dave from Solihull's man boobs? It's not really. <laughs> no. It's, no, it's, it's not it? going to be great, is it? Why is it always Dave from Solihull? Why? I don't <laughs> it's know. That Dave was just Solihull. the first one that came to mind. <laughs> that's the name that always comes up for me. Oh. I don't know why it is. I should, yeah, tried, I should have gone for something must else. be a lot of Dave's in Solly Osport Villa. Um, there's no, yeah. there's no Villa fans in the city, is there? We all live uh, outside. Yeah, well, yeah. In Litchfield, apparently. Um, apparently. Um, yeah, I'm going to put it in. I hate yes. the cap. It's going in. And and the Luke kits, you know, I love the Luke kit, but I do think there's a... People get a bit too excited about a football kit when it comes to the Luke kit, but I, I do like it. You know, generally, it's a, it's a classic, and um, albeit it probably isn't my favourite ever kit. It's, it's up there. But these kits have been atrocious. So, yeah, that's in. That goes in, definitely. Right, uh, let's go to the uh, next one. Ready, set, go. So I'm going to go for Tesco on Aston Lane. Now, I've done well to last as long as I have on this podcast without a toilet break. Uh, But given my normal round trip to Villa Park, I don't get that luxury on match days. I like to arrive early. And sadly, the need for a good parking space outweighs the leisure of leaving home to arrive just before kickoff. And for a while, getting parked was always followed with a trip to Tesco on on Aston Lane. It was the perfect place to go to the toilet, get a drink and chill out before the gates open at 1.30. 
I'd rather go into a pub, but unfortunately, because I drive, the idea of having one or two drinks sounds like going to a strip club just to have a look at the wine list. During the promotion season, this all changed, and a big sign was placed at the bottom of the stairs on match days declaring the toilets were out of order. Now, it could be purely coincidence, or it could be that the same wanker that follows me around making sure I don't get to a McDonald's milkshake machine that isn't knackered is actually going to Tesco's on match days to have a massive dump that requires everything to be closed and ready for Dynarod's visit. It probably isn't that, but if this continues, then once we're Sorry, back... Sorry, time's in- up. Oh, time's no! Up. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop. I'll let you have a couple of seconds uh, for one of the other ones, so Fine. I can't now. You have again. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. You can't. That's the game. That's the rules. That is, oh, you've got to stick to the rules. I've got to stick to the rules, I'm afraid. Yeah, you I'm, imagine I'm you, feet... get, you get all the way from Hampshire to the Villa Park, and you can't even have a wee. Um, I'm going to put it in, not because of the toilets, but because of the fact that in your uh, diatribe, you uh, mentioned McDonald's milkshakes. <laughs> but the machines never work, do they? Oh, no, yeah. And for that reason, it really pisses me off. Um, because I'm, I'm not a massive fan of McDonald's generally. I, I'll have a fillet of fish now and again. As, uh, oh, do you mean the fillet of fish? Fillet of fish, yeah. Fillet of fish. Uh, fillet of fish now and again. Um, but I generally go there to either get a happy meal for my daughter or mm. for a late night ice cream McFlurry run. Um, and it's never, they're never, that the ice cream machine doesn't work, the milkshake machine never works. So yeah, for that reason, it goes in. Uh, I'm happy with that. So that's what you've got three out of four so far. That's hey. all right. I'll take that. I'll be happy because the, the last two probably won't go in. All right. So uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, ready? Yep. Set. Go. Fan cams. Now, I realize that these aren't aimed at me. Uh, the world of reaction videos and unboxing videos and all of that sort of shit's a foreign language. But in reality, there are only two things that I can't understand about fan cams. Firstly, is the people who make them. And secondly, is the people who watch them. Now, it might be that we live in a world where watching someone doing something is better than doing it yourself. And when we were kids, we all had that friend with a massive porn library. But this is something different. Why would anyone care about a stranger's face during a game of football? Why are their comments after the game any more relevant than the other thousands of other people? It's like somebody wanted to find a happy medium between keeping a diary and masturbating in public. As I said, I'm not their audience. I never would be. But if everyone just put their phones and their cameras down and experience this one-off event together in real time, I promise you it'll be worth it. Right. Okay. Well, you're well under there. Um, Am I? Yeah. Um, But yeah, good. Okay. Interesting one. I mean, I I get it. I do. Because I've moaned about this before, especially, you know, I I see children, uh, my children, nephews, nieces. Uh, you know, watching these unboxing videos of toys and, and things like that and watching other people play with toys. Uh, I see people watching reaction videos to other people watching or listening to music, mm-hmm. which is weird. And then fan cams, which I get, you know, it's, it is entertaining and it's interesting to see, you know, what's what the actual fan who goes to the ground is thinking. But when it's the same fan every week, week in, way out, week, in week out, uh, you know, the same five, 10 fans and they're, they're having their say. It's just going to be the same things um, that I said, the same views. People don't change their views about players really that often. Uh, and it gets a bit tedious, I think. Um, and the same, I mean, it's the same with podcasts. If you have, I think in my opinion, if you have the same people every week, week in, week out, which is why we, we try and change up the guests, mm. you end up with everyone saying the same things and agreeing with each other, which doesn't really make for good listening in my opinion. Um, yeah, but I get it. And then again, you know, you know, there's, there's people like Villa on tour, which actually when the videos first came out, uh, I quite enjoy them. Um, because at that time I probably wasn't going to the games as much, um, because I just had, well, I had young kids. Um, so it was quite difficult to go to games. Um, so I quite enjoyed him, but as, as, as they've gone on, you know, watching him and I don't mind Max, you know, uh, I don't know him, so I can't really comment on him, but watching him watch games in his back garden. It's just weird. I don't get it. Is that what people have been doing? Yeah, and they, I mean, they get I, loads I wasn't of even referring play. to that. I was referring to them actually filming themselves at matches. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean the matches. I don't mind too much because you get to see the the crowd and the response to the crowd. And you know, as long as they're not just showing themselves reacting to it and they're showing the crowd, then I don't mind that too much. Um, but watching two or three people watch it in the garden, I don't get it to be honest. And, you know, fair play to them; they've got plenty of viewers and uh, on YouTube and 
you know that that's what they want to do and they enjoy it and that's fine that's all up to them like i don't know the guys oh so i mean you know as i say i'm not their audience so it's yeah, I'm very much, I'm a grandfather clock in a digital age. Yeah, but I do get it and I'm close to putting it in and oh, there is a but. Denied. <laughs> but, denied. Um, uh, the fact that I've actually watched those videos early on and I enjoyed them. And and also there's another channel that we've shouted out before, uh, a guy called Mark Hutton, aka The Little Villain. Now they're, they're, their away day videos are brilliant because they're, they're similar ages to us uh, and they show sort of themselves you know, and they don't do his videos that he doesn't do the videos as much as he used to. Well, obviously not none now, but even in the Premier League, um, you know, those away days where, you know, the mates go, he, you know, he's, he's driving the van, he picks up his mates, they get on it, they, they go to the pub, they meet up with everyone. It's quite a raucous atmosphere, all the singing in the background. Um, it's quite lively. And it's quite interesting to watch that sort of the away day vibe, which, you know, we all know and love. So, uh, and I've enjoyed those videos. So for the fact that I've enjoyed those videos and I haven't hated them, I'm not going to put it in, I'm afraid. Oh, it's a disaster! It's gone in off Anchorman! So your your last one, three out of five. It's going to be uh, three out of six, I can feel it already. So I'm going to start the clock. Ready, set, go. Every week we follow Aston Villa. Now, I think it was John Gregory who said that there are loads of cities and Uniteds, but there's only one team that's called Villa. We're unique. We live in an age where a lot of grounds look identical and characterless and Villa Park stands proud as an example of what football once was. Our fans are amazing. And I love the fact that our support means that you can have a Catholic sat next to an atheist, sat next to a Muslim or a lawyer sat next to a scaffolder, sat next to a criminal. And nobody cares because for 90 minutes, we all suffer together equally as one. I mean, hopefully less so this season. But with that in mind, I cannot begin to stress how much I wish that we hadn't done what almost every other club did and just rehash that song that Liverpool made famous. Maybe it's because I'm bitter that it's associated with Liverpool. I can't stand them from 1990. But I just think that we could do something that was so much better. Well done. 58 seconds. 58 seconds. Well done. I should have put Um, a clock in next to me, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I I do think our, our songs are quite unimaginative. To be honest, apart from Especially that. when you think of the sort of, like, I remember being at White Hart Lane when Spurs had had a big parade of all their, like, ex players. It was like Gary Mabbott and Eric Tours vet and all these people. And we, it was be like 3 0 up or 3 1 up because uh, it was their 125th anniversary. And you got all the away fans singing Happy Birthday to you while we were absolutely thrashing them. And you know, we, we're so good. We do gallows humor really well. But I don't understand what's happened. Yeah, no, I remember that game, and uh, that's that's the game I broke my Sky remote when they equalised. Uh, I remember that. Um, so, yeah, no, <laughs> that was quite funny. That was, uh, you know, that was using a bit of imagination, a bit of creativity, um, rather than there's only one, so on and so forth. You know, whatever whatever play you want to add in, uh, and the Christian Benteke song, which was someone did on a bus, I think. Oh, you know, the um, in the jungle. Yeah, yeah, that was quite good. Yeah. Um, but really, I think most of our songs are quite poor, unimaginative. And, you know, it doesn't really have to be imaginative, don't get me wrong. But it's nice to have something new now and again, um, something interesting that the fans put together with a bit of humour. And it, I did love the LALA song. You know, is that, sorry, that's the one you're referring to, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Um, you know, back when we were in the championship and, and the run into that. But I got quite bored of it quite quickly. Um, Especially so because everyone reason, else was doing it. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm I'm with you with that. Um, it's like the you know, don't look back in anger. I was there when that game, when that when we first used started the using Reading the song, match. It was the Reading match. Yeah, when we when we beat them, they used to call that penalty, and they played it on the uh, tannoy, and all the fans started singing it. But it was done at the end of that season. That was it. So the LA, they got. I mean, yes, I enjoyed it at the time, and and I'm going to contradict myself as you know with the uh, with the fan cams when I said I enjoyed it. So I'm going to keep it out because although I did enjoy it, it's been done. I've had enough. And it wasn't very imaginative and it and is associated with Liverpool. So for that reason, it's going in. Yes. So well done. A good I think a good first effort. That's that. all right. I'll take four the from four six. Out of six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see obviously as the uh, as the show uh, goes on and we have future guests coming on. See how everyone does. Um it could be a really great score, it could be a really poor score, we don't know. We will see. Depends how nice I am, what mood I'm in. Uh, 
but yeah, really good. So we've got the four we've got going in just to remind everyone is uh, we've got uh, Martin and Neil. We've got uh, Toilets. Uh, we've got, what else was it? Sorry. Kappa. Kappa. And obviously we've got the LA LA song. Yeah. So those four will be mentioned. Well, hardly ever if they are with, with negative connotations. Let's put it that way. So they all go into Villa Room 101. And that's Didier 6 for you. Or Didier 4. That is the... It's, don't you can't rename it every week now. That'd be a thing. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, if you've got a better name, then let me know. But thanks for your time, Ash. Uh, that was a pleasure. I really enjoyed that. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, I hope you did as well, uh, listeners. Um, we'll have the match review coming up on Sunday night. Uh, hopefully, we'll be reviewing a win or a draw. Uh, let's hope it's a win. Um, and the next week, we've got two villatalk.com legends uh, coming on the show. And I'll, I'll let you know more details about that. Um, they'll be talking about kits, favorite managers, worst managers, and also how the season's gone so far. And we'll also have a special podcast. Where we'll be in, in, in lieu of, uh, black history month. We'll be me, myself, Jugzy, Chadzi, and hopefully Deckers, if we can get him on, we'll be naming our, uh, top five black Villa players, uh, and putting our case forward for why our list is the best. But before we head off, I'd just like to say thanks, Ash. That was really, really enjoyable. Please uh, do subscribe um, to us on, on all major uh, podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at Villa Podcast. Um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. And uh, we'll see you next time. Up the Villa.